Live from Indianapolis, this is Michael Rydell Lake on Open Line. Hello, friends. So glad you're here to join us for Open Line. This is a live audience in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's kind of unusual. Usually we take your calls, but today we've got a live audience here at Castleview Church. They're the ones asking the questions. I'm so grateful to see them all. Uh, if you want to check out and be able to see what we're doing on Open Line, go to our website, openlineradio.org. There's also a place if you're listening and you wanted to ask a question today about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life, just click on the link that says, ask Michael a question, and you could post your question there, and Trish will put it in the mailbag in upcoming weeks. But for now, we're going to take questions right here from our live audience, and we're going to get started right away uh, with one of our uh, participants right here. We're not just an audience. We're participants in the program today. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Judy Todd. Um, I came a long way to see you and Eva and Tricia today. Oh, good. Yeah, good. I came from Indianapolis. Oh. <laughs> All the way from Indianapolis. Yes. Yeah. Where are we? Uh, what part of Indianapolis are we? Uh, far East. And, and where are you living? In Indianapolis. In, in, <laughs> far west, far south? Oh, east. Oh, east. so it wasn't even very far at all. I got yeah, it. Okay, yeah. there we go. Okay. All right, well, my question is, how will the world know that we have been raptured? Will our bodies be left behind? No, our bodies are translated immediately to be with the Lord. We won't be left behind. Uh, the How will they know? I don't think they will understand or know. Uh, you know, I, I had a professor once that used to speculate that people will say it was UFOs that got us. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't really believe in UFOs, but people may speculate that. You know, they may say, well, they just disappeared. You know, our pictures will be on milk containers. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do or what they're going to say, but they will know that we're gone. So... Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael. Yeah. But there won't, be, there won't be little bodies laying around. No, we, <laughs> we are translated to be with the Lord immediately. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Good morning, Dr. Reineldick. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's great to be with you. Thank you. And my question is kind of in regards to her question. Um, according to many dispensational references, what are we oh. to think about the return of Messiah during a quote-unquote rapture. What are we to think about it? Yes. I, I'm not sure what to think about it's going to happen. Why? I, tell me, explain your question well, to me a little bit. The, the older I get, the more that I read and study, it, it isn't, to me, it isn't logical. Oh. To me, like, all of a sudden, millions of people are just going to be gone. Uh, where are they going? How are they going to come back? Okay. Um, I'm I'm just, uh, okay. it's something I've always been taught, of course, about yeah. the rapture. But the more I study, it's like, really? Well, <laughs> uh, let me just, uh, when the Lord Jesus was asked about the signs of the times in Matthew 24, tell us when these things will happen. First question they ask him is when? And the second question is what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So when, what sign, Right. Second question, what sign? He answers the second question first. He begins telling them what the signs are. So he, there's question A, when, question B, what sign? 
he answers question B first. He talks all about the signs. And then he comes to verse 36, and he answers the first question of when. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. So what day it will be? No one knows. It's sudden, unexpected. In fact, that's what he goes on to say. People are going to just go on with their lives. Everything will be fine, and this is going to happen suddenly, which is one of the reasons why I believe in a sudden rapture. And then the second uh, reason is, you know, I'm not saying this is, I, I didn't deduce this. I'm getting this right from Scripture. So here's what First Thessalonians chapter 4 has to say. Uh, it says in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep. That's a metaphor for those who have died. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the gospel. That's what we believe to be saved, right? Since we believe the gospel, in the same way, we, in the same way, meaning, in the same way we believe the gospel, in the same way we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. So it's interesting. They've fallen asleep. Their bodies appear to look like they're asleep, but they're with him because when he comes, he's going to bring them with him. Isn't that interesting? It says God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then it says, for we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. This is what God has revealed. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming, which will come suddenly and unexpectedly, according to what the Lord has revealed, right? We who are alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, if you think that it's illogical that we can be raptured, think about the resurrection of the dead. People for thousands of years who have been in the grave or been uh, uh, turned to, to ash or uh, buried at the bottom of the sea, they're going to be resurrected and then after they are resurrected in that same instant, then we who are still alive, that's you and me hopefully, if we don't die first, but suddenly and unexpectedly, then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them. So there's going to be a great reunion because we're going to be with those who have died if we are alive when the Lord returns. We'll be caught up together. The word means snatched up. It's literally, it means, I think that we shouldn't use the word rapture, which is the Latin word for harpazo, which is the Greek word. Uh, that's where we get the word rapture. Uh, it's, it's the, it's, people say there's no word rapture in the Bible. Well, it's Latin. The Greek word is harpazo. I think we should call the rapture the great snatch. <laughs> and and uh, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. In the clouds! to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I find that hard to believe as well, but I do believe it. I do believe it. And so, uh, I, you know, people say, want to explain it away. I think we explain it away. We might as well just get rid of this book. 
we want to explain it away. Let's take away the words of the Lord Jesus who said it will happen suddenly and unexpectedly. Uh, I just have to have confidence that, and this is my confidence. I don't know if I'm going to be alive. I didn't think I would be alive. I mean, I didn't think I would be dead before the rapture when I first got saved. I didn't even want to go to college. I, got, I became a believer in high school. And I told this man who was the leader of a Messianic congregation I attended, I'm not going to go to college. I have to go out there and proclaim the, the good news because the Lord's returning and we don't have time. And he said, go to college. <laughs> because if you're at Moody when the Lord returns, that's exactly where he wants you to be. Do God's will and be ready for him. And so I went to Moody. And which, by the way, I want you to tell all your kids, grandkids, if you're a young person here, check out Moody Bible Institute. Go to moody.edu, best place to prepare for life. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I went to college. But I did not think that I would be around 50 years later, which I, I am. I thought the rapture was going to happen. And that's good, you know. And now I think I might die before the rapture happens, but I'm still hoping yeah. for the rapture. I'm still hoping. So uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. That was a great answer. That was really good. Uh, <laughs> you didn't even ask the question. That's good. I don't even want to ask mine now. I'm Marcy from Moreland, and speaking of college, before I ask my question, about five or six years ago, my daughter Mallory was a sophomore, maybe a freshman in college. She's really embarrassed. We were at an event that you were at, and she was, her faith was someone under attack in a, in, in a public university. She asked you the question, and you looked her straight in the eye, and you said, Mallory, are they still teaching that lie? Oh. And then you gave her truth. Mm. So I'm going to cry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for speaking truth. Thank you. So. Okay. My question is from Daniel um, in chapter 7, and I was just reading this randomly, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think we get to see Father God. So in Daniel chapter 7, um, he's having a vision. The Ancient of Days mm -hmm. takes his seat. It describes his clothing, his hair, his, the throne. And then in 13, the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days. Who's who there? The Ancient of Days obviously is a presentation in vision, Okay. Not in person, okay. but in vision of the Father. And the, uh, there are thrones set up there in Daniel 7. Mm -hmm. uh, two thrones for God. God the Father, the Ancient of Days, and one like a Son of Man. Okay. So there's another, well, there's only one God, but there does appear uh, the two persons, uh, at, at least, you know, I believe in a triune God, Trinity, but uh, here we have a duality, uh, the, the one like a son of man. That means one who in appearance looks fully human, but is deity. And he's the one that receives the kingdom and all authority as, as you read Daniel 7. Uh, and so I think that the, it's very interesting. Uh, there is a, a Jewish writer, uh, a rabbi who teaches out uh, in California. Uh, he's a college professor but he also has written a book called The Jewish Gospels, I believe it is, and his name is eluding me right now. But anyway, he, he, he's the one that points out that the Son of Man there is a, a figure of deity. Okay. 
and the, the Messiah is divine. And he said uh, that it's so, he finds it amazing that the Lord Jesus uses the term son of man to describe himself. That's his favorite self-description. Why is that amazing? Because most New Testament commentators think that he is proclaiming his full humanity. But based on Daniel 7, what is he saying about himself? He's saying, I am fully God, uh, one like a son of man. And uh, it's interesting, too, because at his trial, the high priest says, uh, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And the Lord Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man descending on the clouds. And he quotes Daniel 7. And what does the high priest do? What more do we need? He dares his garments. He says, he's committed blasphemy because the high priest fully gets that what, by claiming to be the Son of Man, he's claiming deity. And so, yeah, that, that's what that's about. And, uh, but we will see God forever. Uh, when we are resurrected into the new heavens, the new earth, we will see God. We will see the Lord Jesus, God the Son. And why is this so important? Because none of us will be disappointed. I promise you that. I always hear people like, what do you mean we're not going to see God? Of course we'll see God. We'll see God the Son. We will look upon his face, and when we see him, we shall be like him, and we never have to be disappointed. We'll never say, oh, I only get to see the Lord Jesus. Do you think we'll ever be disappointed about that? No, I don't think so. Anyway, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right here on Open Line. Uh, we're, we're in Indiana right now, and it's at Castleview Church. I'm really grateful for them allowing us to be here. I'm grateful for this live audience because I don't have to think of the questions myself. They are here doing it. We're going to be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Open Line. We'll be right back. Michael Radonik, this program is called Open Line. Our phone, our phone number is not going to be used today because we've got a live audience. So I'm not even going to mention that we have a phone. There is no phone. Uh, we've got a live audience today in Indianapolis, and they are the ones asking the questions. And joining me right now to answer questions is my favorite Bible teacher, Eva Radonik, teaches at Moody. And uh, by the way, most people don't know she contributed to the Moody Bible commentary, and she wrote the hardest commentaries. She wrote with Charlie Dyer, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, and Lamentations, and she contributed two articles to the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, and she edits everything I write. The only thing she leaves in are the mistakes, so if you ever find a mistake, <laughs> uh, it's not her fault, it's mine. So anyway. Yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah. Okay, uh, before anything else, uh, tell me something. You read the Bible every day. It makes me feel guilty, so I read too. Okay. <laughs> uh, what do you think is the most important key to having people unlock the Bible and understand it? I think they just need to read it. I think if you just read it, it will become more and more clear to you. Yeah. I, th I think that. And not a obsess over stuff you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. When I teach Bible interpretation, one of the things that I tell my class is that if you know how to read, you're 90% there. Really. Uh, so much of, uh, the only time you really need some special skills in interpretation is when something is unclear. But most of the time, 90% of it is clear. And uh, I don't think the issue is so much understanding, it's obeying, right? Lazy. 
I think that's why most people don't read. They're lazy. They either look at their Facebook or read the newspaper or watch something on TV. Lazy. We don't. We fa we <laughs> fail to see. Tell us what you really think, Eva. Fail to see. Fail to see the importance of reading the Bible. Yeah. If you really yeah. saw how important it was, you do it. Now I do think that sometimes we struggle. I'm sorry, because... you're lazy. But <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I think we do struggle uh, with getting a, a, a understanding. Sometimes it gets a little dry. There are some ways that sometimes the Bible seems locked to us. And that's why I've chosen as our current resource, 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible by Pastor Colin Smith. It's a little book. It's easy to read. But if we apply the 10 principles that he has in here, it will make our Bible reading come alive. It's a little book with a big idea of make, letting the Bible come alive for us. And uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to... If you're listening and you think, boy, I would really, really like to have the Bible come alive for me. I'm not lazy. I'm just struggling. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great little book to help you do that. And uh, the, it's yours when you give a gift of any size. It's a way of uh, open line and me saying thank you for your support and uh, we'll send it to you. All you have to do is call 888 644 7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, when you give, be sure to ask for 10 keys for unlocking the Bible. Okay, we're going to go to the right questions. I hope these are good questions for Eva right here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carol Winterholder. I actually live right down the street. I could have walked here this morning. Oh, nice. and why didn't you? Lazy. No. <laughs> actually. <laughs> I'm just joking you. Actually, it's like two miles, and I don't okay. usually walk that far. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is a perfect question for this confusion, because last summer, my disciple group, three of us, we decided to study the end times, and we took two online courses through Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh. And quite frankly, we ended up with some topics. We were more confused when we ended than when we started. <laughs> I, I went to DTS. That's, that, I, that had and, the, uh, the whole program had that effect on me. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved Dallas. So it ended up, what we were really confused about was that in time, the timeline about Armageddon, Gog and Magog and all of that, and how many battles are there? Are there two? Are there three? Exactly on the timeline, do they come? It seemed like every resource we looked at, every source, everything had a different idea. And I just okay. give well, us some I'm, clarification. I'm going to recommend a book to you uh, by, it's a Moody Publishers book. I don't think we have it at the back table here in the, uh, the building, but it is a book that you can get from Moody Publishers. It's called Understanding End Times Prophecy. It's written by Paul Benware. And it is a great resource to clarify those questions. Uh, I'll just lay it out for you here. But what is the very next event that we're waiting for? Is there something that we're waiting for? It's the rapture. There's nothing else that we, you know, it's, we're, we're, the rapture can happen any moment. But the, uh, the, the, the events on the timeline, Israel will sign a covenant with the future false messiah, a world political ruler. Uh, maybe peace, uh, some sort of peace in the Middle East, and that, that's the beginning of the tribulation. Then he breaks it in the middle of the tribulation and takes his seat on the throne. 
in the temple. Israel rejects him. He persecutes Israel. Great tribulation, second half of that seven-year period. Uh, there's also going to be the war of Gog and Magog, which no one knows when it's going to be. Uh, you read all the different interpreters. Some people say it's before the rapture. Some people say it's before the tribulation. Some people say it's in the middle of the tribulation. Some people think it's the same thing as Armageddon, and that's why it's confusing. I think it's going to happen somewhere just before the middle of the future tribulation. Uh, and then you've got the, the last battle, uh, the campaign of Armageddon, and then uh, what happens is uh, the Lord Jesus returns to deliver Israel, and the kingdom begins. That's sort of a quick outline of the end of days. Okay? Okay, so you're like saying two battles, because, a lot, because Armageddon, what we researched, found that it came at the end of the tribulation. Yes. The beginning of the millennium, but then at the end of the millennium, the there is... Oh, there's the battle of the, the little battle season. There's another battle where it really yeah. isn't a it's battle. It's called the battle of the little season. It's like the final uprising against okay. the Messiah. You, it's been the at the end of the millennium. At the end of the millennium. When you would think, yeah. who would want to rebel after having lived in the rebellion in, in the millennium? But there is that rebellion, and it was sometimes identified as the battle of the little season. Okay. Yeah, yeah so I would say that if you're going to say... How many? There's three. There's the War of Gog and Magog, which some people align with Armageddon, but I think happens uh, in the, the period just before the middle of the tribulation. Then there's... But I'm, I, if, if I'm wrong about that, I'm not going to be surprised. Right. <laughs> and then there's the last battle, the campaign of Armageddon, and then there's sort of a redo of the War of Gog and Magog or the Battle of the Little Season at the end of the thousand-year reign. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Hello, I'm Joyce McDonald, and I'm from Nobisville. Thanks for being here. Um, so, will the on her question, will the world be totally destroyed and disaster and all that, and he still comes, and we have the millennium? No, the world is not destroyed. Uh, what the Bible says is the Lord Jesus comes, and he renovates this world for a thousand years. And only after the thousand-year reign, Revelation 21 and 22, is there a new heavens, a new creation, new heavens and a new earth. Okay. Okay. And then my real question okay. is, ever since I was a little girl and I read the story in Genesis chapter 3, and then it's down at 22 through 24, where he tells them to go out of the garden, and then he's um, putting cherubims and a flaming sword there, I know that you've been to Israel quite a few times. Have you ever gone to this area to see if, it's, if you can see it? Because I've often wondered as a child, like, is it just there and you can't see it anymore? You know, like, do you pass by it and you walk it's, around it? I'll tell you where it is. It's right by the uh, ladder up to heaven that, that Jacob saw. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, I, we always, Trisha went to Israel with Eva and me in She June. tried to climb the ladder. I yeah. said, no, no, no. It's dangerous. That, <laughs> danger, danger. <laughs> I don't think you can see it anymore. No, thank you. No. Okay. That was a nice question, though. Thank you. <laughs> and Trish, remember those, be careful of the ladder. That's it. Hello. Hello. What were tents made of in Paul's? Tell me your name before I, before I answer. I got to know your name. I, I'm Elizabeth. Okay. From Carmel. Okay. What were tents made of in Paul's time? 
Paul was a Pharisee, and if tents were made of animal skins, then he wasn't supposed to be touching dead animals. Nice question. Uh, probably the tents were not made out of leather, but they were made out of fabric, like goat's hair would have been the most likely sub, uh, fabric. Con That's what we see today in tents in the Middle East. They're made out of goat's hair. And what so, is, the, there, so things were woven, fabric was woven, and then those fabrics, sheets, were put together into tents of different sizes. So he would not have been working with leather. Now, the, but the question is, why do you think a Pharisee couldn't touch leather? Because of the dead, because of the dead animals. Priests couldn't touch that. Uh, but, not, but not, Pharisees were not restricted. It was a priest that wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, from the, the tribe of Levi, a priest couldn't touch it. But a, uh, a Pharisee, I mean, I'm not sure they would want to. I don't think I would want to. But nevertheless, uh, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be forbidden of a Pharisee. Uh, I think the most amazing thing for me when I read the New Testament is that Simon Peter goes, and where does he stay before he goes to preach to a Gentile? He goes to Joppa and stays at Simon the Tanner's house right? That's where he receives that vision, which shows that he was, you know, that was, would have been a pretty unclean job, but a pretty smelly place. And uh, it, it, he would have had to go through some ritual cleansings in order to go to the temple uh, after being there. But he was more open-minded and, and he went there. So, and that's why he went and preached to a Gentile, uh, whom God has called clean, let no man call unclean, right? So that's that's what it is. We're going to come back with more of your questions in just a moment. This is Open Line. I hope the people here are asking the questions you want to know about. I'm Michael Rydelnik. That's Eva Rydelnik with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Open Line with our live audience here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm Michael Radelnik. Uh, normally, Trisha McMillan would be coming up right now with the FEBC mailbag, but since we have a live audience, there's no mailbag today. But we're so grateful that Far Eastern Broadcasting Company is partnering with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line, and you can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing in the world's most unreached countries through the weekly podcast called Until All Have Heard. It features Ed Cannon and Wayne Shepherd, all the details for this program and FEBC and much more can be found at febc.org, febc.org. Uh, don't miss out. Check that out. And uh, let's see. I, I did want to mention, too, I know I mentioned it last hour, something I want to remind people of. Uh, my friend William Washington, who's the vice president and dean of student life at Moody, has asked me last, and if you missed it last week, uh, he asked me, how many people are kitchen table partners? Those are people who commit monthly, to give monthly to Open Line, and I had no idea. Isn't that terrible? I had to call Tricia, and I <laughs> promised him I would mention it not once but twice on the program this week. Uh, we have 538 people who have committed to giving monthly to Open Line. That mean, I just couldn't believe how generous people are and how gracious people are, and we have that many. And William said, that's not enough. <laughs> he, he said, we need to double our impact and we need to start praying. And I hope you all pray too. If you're here, if you're listening on the radio, 
that God would be able to double our impact and that by next year we'll have a thousand kitchen table partners. That's something that I, I think would be amazing. And a uh, kitchen table partner, someone who has benefited from the program, feels that they've grown, and as a result, they commit to give monthly. And what I try to do, and I don't just try, I've been doing it, every other week we send an audio Bible study, get it in the email, listen to it. It's designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. And I uh, hope you'll consider becoming a kitchen table partner as well. Our phone number, if you want to become one, is 888-644-7122, or you can sign up online at openlineradio.org. Okay, Eva, before uh, we take our next question, uh, you, what do you want to say? You something about just gonna say lazy? Something what? Yeah. Are I just you... wanted to raise my hand and say I am a lazy person. Okay. <laughs> I'm a lazy person, and I don't read the Bible automatically just because I feel so energized every day to do it. But I do it because I realize that God really wrote this book for us to read and to be transformed by. And I have a whole list of verses here in the front of my Bible about the importance of being diligent and being focused and being obedient about spending time in the Word every day. And you know, one of my, favorite, one of my favorites of this list is that, that the person who gives attention to the Word of God will find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Giving attention to the Word of God is not an automatic behavior because we're lazy. <laughs> but if we train ourselves and discipline ourselves, we will reap the benefit of a closer relationship, fellowship with God. Hmm. So the laziest of us can have our lives transformed by paying attention yeah. and being diligent. So I have a friend who, remember last hour, I, uh, I mentioned that there was a book and the, the rabbi's name eluded me. Well, my friend Larry immediately texted me uh, on his wife's phone. <laughs> and he said, Rabbi Daniel Boyerin. That's, so he reminded me of it. And uh, Larry is the person I dedicated this book uh, 50 Most Important Bible Questions. I dedicated it to my friend Larry. He's a rabbi of a Messianic congregation. This is what it says in the dedication of 50 Most Important Bible Questions. To Larry Feldman, who has read the Bible every day since 1972. Every day. And he knows the answer to all these and probably every other Bible question because he reads the Bible, how often? Every day. And is the most faithful friend a person could have. But uh, the, the thing about this is I, I don't know, I think it's just because he's crazy and he never misses a day, you know. He's got, <laughs> a little obsessive. He's a little obsessive. No, no, that's not why. I asked him once why he was so faithful about reading the Bible every day. And he said when he first came to know the Lord, someone told him that God will, you know, people are always looking to hear God's voice. And they said the only way you can really hear God's voice regularly is to and hear him speak to us is by reading the Bible. And so he said, so I'm going to read the Bible every day because I want to hear God's voice. And... And uh, he determined to make that a commitment in his life. And so now for more than 50 years, he hasn't missed a day. Now, I, when I grow up, I want to be like Larry. Mm. I got to tell you, that's it. I can't say that that's me. But it's one of the real, I have the same motivation to want to read the Bible daily because I want to hear God's voice. And also I feel guilty because I see Eva every day reading the Bible. <laughs> so I, I can't let my wife outdo me. So I have to. <laughs> 
Okay, good morning, Dr. Good Michael Rydell and Eva. Good morning. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> I think today was meant to be my son, Grayson, here. Woke me up at 3.30 in the morning, and so we're a little, a little tired this morning, but <laughs> uh, we made the trip from Chalmers, Indiana. And um, so Grayson had a question today. Um, we adopted Grayson in 2017, and we committed to the Lord to him knowing the Lord and studying the Bible. So along that theme, he has a question this okay. morning. Good, Grayson. How old are you, Grayson? Six. You're Great. six years old? Wow. Wonderful. Are you in Five. school yet? I'm in kindergarten. Oh, you're in kindergarten. Great. Wow. Can you read yet? Almost. Almost. That's yeah. good. It's okay. Great. Okay. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did the Lord Jesus die on the cross? Is that your question? Mm -hmm. uh, wow. There's a really, it's a, it's a big idea with a, but I'm going to try and explain it as simply as I can. It's probably the most important question that a person can ask. Mm -hmm. That we all do things wrong. Have you ever noticed that you do things wrong, Grayson? Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, and I'm, I'm a lot bigger than you are, so probably I do a lot bigger wrong things. But here's the thing. Uh, when we do things wrong, it hurts God. It offends him. And so he wanted to forgive us, but someone had to pay for those wrong things. So instead of making me pay or you pay for the wrong things we do, he became a man. God became a man. It's really hard for us to understand. Uh, and the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to take the punishment that all these people who do wrong things, I'm going to take the punishment that they deserve. And then I'm going to forgive them on the basis of that. So when the Lord Jesus died, it was to take the punishment that we deserve, but it wasn't enough that he died. It was also important to prove that he could take away our sins, that he could take the punishment that we deserve. He was raised from the dead, and he's alive. And because of that, we can be forgiven. Have you ever put your trust in the Lord Jesus? Have you believed in him yet? You have? That's wonderful. Now you know that you're forgiven forever. And uh, he'll never hold those wrong things against you because he has paid for them for you. Okay? Thank you. Great question. Thank you, Grayson. Most important question to ask today. I think it's great. Thank, Thank you, you, Grayson. Thank you. Ron Miles from uh, Indianapolis. Uh, just down the street just a little bit here. Mm -hmm. But... Um, also, I wanted to mention that uh, my dad was a graduate of Moody about 100 years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Literally. That's so, great. I hate to say how long ago I was a graduate of Moody. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, what, this, you probably already answered this, but what happens when I step across the line from this life into the, into the next? Hmm. Um, I'm 92 years old, a retired Baptist pastor, and I'm just trying to warm up for what's coming next. Okay. <laughs> 92 years old? Wow. Pardon me. You're 92? Yes. Man, he looks younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> right living. Right living, not me, right? <laughs> wow. Well, I wish I could give you a, a detailed explanation, but I think I have a clear one from Scripture. Uh, 
to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I know it's going to be better. I think that that's something that's really important. We see that in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, it says this. Uh, it says, he says in verse 23, I am pressured by both to live or to die, right? I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, be with Messiah, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So what, what I'm saying here is in Philippians 1, it's saying that we go immediately to be with the Messiah. Uh, there's a really famous verse in 2 Corinthians 5, which says... Yeah. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we have. Absent from the body, the minute our soul... Our non-material part leaves our material, leaves our body. We're present with the Lord. Yeah. It's a great encouragement for yeah. all of us. Yeah. I'm still hoping for the rapture first. I hope you are too. <laughs> yeah. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Good morning, Michael and Eva. I'm Anita from Newcastle and was privileged to go to Israel a couple of years ago with you and the lesser Michael. Okay. <laughs> um, that, don't say that. The, the other, other. The other oh, Michael. Michael. The other Michael. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to really have to pay for that uh, one. It was right. a great experience. <laughs> like the lesser James. You yeah, know. right. James the lesser, yes. Yeah. I'm going to call him that from now on, Michael the lesser. <laughs> um, I heard Eva the great Bible teacher, uh, maybe oh, within bad. last month on, actually on WGNR on Open Line on Wednesday morning with Kelly and Steve, and she was on that morning. And I heard this question, I was on my way to work, which is a short trip, and I was trying to process all this, but the question had to deal with, uh, will there be sacrifices during the millennium, which you kind of, a question was this morning a little bit about that. I had never heard that, never understood why there would be sacrifices after Jesus being our ultimate sacrifice. So could you explain that a little bit more, or is there scripture reference sure. for that? I will explain it to you, but you have to answer a question for me oh, first. Oh, no. Okay. Why would we even have sacrifices before the Lord Jesus' sacrifice? Because Hebrew says the blood of bulls and goats didn't take away sin. So what was the point of those sacrifices before? To point to him? Yeah. Very good. Very good. So they pointed forward to him. Mm -hmm. You read Isaiah 65, and it talks about when the Lord comes and when we're with him in his presence. And it says in Isaiah 65 that people are going to live a really long time. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, Indeed, a youth will die at 100 years, meaning if someone dies at 100 years, they'll be considered a child, mm -hmm. a young man. Uh, and the one who misses 100 years, is, if someone doesn't live to 100, they're going to be considered cursed because people will live much, much longer. And we're not talking about those of us, of us who have been resurrected, okay. right? We're talking about people who are born in the millennium. And the people who are born in the millennium will have to also put their trust in Jesus. And if they have to put their trust in the Messiah and believe in him, and believe that he died for their sins and rose again, right? If people aren't dying very often, what are they going to miss the point of? What, 
what the significance of the Messiah's death is. So just like today when we have the Lord's table, we are looking back at the death of our Lord for us, for the Messiah to die for us, right? Mm -hmm. So in the millennium, we're going to have sacrifices so people will understand the great significance that uh, what the Lord did for us, how much he paid for us. I think without sacrifices, people, death won't, will, not, will be so uncommon that people will not grasp the significance of Messiah's death for us. So just as the sacrifices in the Old Testament looked forward, so the sacrifices in the uh, millennium look backwards to remind us of what the Lord has done for us. Does that, does that make yes, sense? Yes, thank you very yeah. much. And also, there's also an element where the sacrifices in the Old Testament sort of made a person not forgiven, but ritually clean. In the same way, there will be a ritual cleanness that comes with those sacrifices in the millennium. So anyway, the, uh, we're, we're going to come back with more of your questions in just a moment. This is Open Line in, on the road in Indiana with Michael and Eva Rydell. Welcome back to Open Line on the Road. Here we are in Indianapolis. And uh, I did want to remind people about the Chosen People, Mag Chosen people uh, Jewish Art Calendar. It's a great way of learning about the Jewish festivals, praying for the Jewish people, and it's available. All you have to do is go to our website, openlineradio.org. You can scroll down, and you'll see the link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries, and you can get the Jewish Art Calendar for this year. That'd be a great thing because we're, we're here celebrating the Fall Feasts of Israel today. Uh, that's what I'll be speaking on after the radio program for this group. And if you see our pictures on uh, Facebook or our, um, Instagram, Instagram or whatever, you'll notice that Michael is sitting underneath this sort of wooden frame and there's some fruit and flowers and leaves hanging down. This is a frame of a sukkah or tabernacle or booth. The Feast of Booths, which comes after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. But this isn't Sukkot. the kosher one, Eva. Why not? There are no, we, this, was on, this has no sides on it because if it had the sides around, then you wouldn't be able to see Michael answering we, your we questions. We needed the sight lines. So we needed so. sight lines. So, but this is the frame to give you an idea of what a booth would look like. Or about, or how, big sukkah, about how big it is. And it, they are decorated with fall items like fruits and flowers and things like that. So and, and, thank you so much for putting this booth up for it us, was, Rabbi Jeff. Yeah, Rabbi Jeff Adler and uh, from Share Yeshua. Is that, did I get the name of the congregation right? Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, thank okay, you. Okay, now it's a lightning round? Yeah, lightning round. Let's go. Okay, my question, this is Marion O'Quinn from uh, Griffith, Indiana. Oh, wow. So not far from Chicago. Yeah. My question is about John 20, verse 21 to 23 and Acts 2, 1 to 14. Both times the Holy Spirit is given as a gift. Did they need a booster that they got it <laughs> twice? Well, you know, I think that prior to the resurrection, the the giving and presence of the Holy Spirit followed the the pattern from the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit was given, but it wasn't a permanent indwelling prior to the resurrection. And the, of course, the disciples at that point, that was prior to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it was then, after the resurrection, prior to Pentecost. Right. Prior, yeah, prior, prior to Pentecost. Yeah. But then at Pentecost, it was a permanent giving of the, of the Holy Spirit. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. Uh, that's why David prayed, take not your spirit from me. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the Lord Jesus promised in the upper room that one day the Holy Spirit would come upon them and he would never leave them. That's in the upper room discourse. And then, of course, he empowers them to get to Pentecost. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls, and now we've got the, the way the Holy Spirit works in the period of the body of believers. So there's no second blessing filling after, yeah. after Pentecost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. My name is Kate Freeman uh, from Monticello, Illinois. And my question is, what does it mean to be a helpmeet? Uh, oh. From the... <laughs> this is lightning round, all and right. And then, what is the role of a woman? Okay, these are two questions. <laughs> the, the word, I'm the, not joining the this word, one. The word helpmeet <laughs> is one who is called alongside to help. It's not a secondary position because we know that God is our helper. And if we said that being a helper is an inferior position, what are we saying about God? So I think God in his perfect creation created man and woman, and he gave them each wonderful roles. And one of the roles that the woman has is to be a helper. I think the Hebrew word for helper could be even translated partner. Partner. Right. And so it's not... Someone who comes to our aid when we need it most. Right. And um, the Holy Spirit's called a helper. And God is our help in ages past. So just very shortly, briefly, it means one who provides aid exactly as it is needed. It says in Psalm 46.1, a helper, God is a helper in times of trouble. That's Eva too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think that's, that, that's the role that, that God established with men and women. But we can't go to the whole role of women in the church. It's, we're out of time. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Good day, Dr. Sherman. It's good to have both of you here. I'm sure that's appreciated by all of us here. And on this question, it's also appreciated because both perspectives. I enjoy the interaction of all generations. I think We're going to roll music. You've got to ask a question. Okay. Go for it. Go Traditions for it. Are, such as annual feast are seen as important and made significant. What are some biblical references and or passages for every generation, young and old, showing why such is significant? What, what is significant? The um, uh, traditions that we have. And my name is Bob Minch from Plainfield. You know, I think God has given us a structure that we can follow the kind of the pattern of from the, from the Bible of celebrating the holidays, each one of them having a remembrance. And for non-Jewish people, those holidays have changed somewhat. But each of them, I think, and traditions in our own families, we can build into them value of remembering God and all he's done for us in every age. Yep. So, well. yep. I'm going to say that's as much as we're going to talk about that because we're looking at saying thank you for being here today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radonik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.